morning. Hey, praise team, great job this morning. Thank you all so much. Thank you for being here today. I hope you're doing okay. Um, hope you've had a good week, and uh, I pray that you will have a great week ahead. Uh, today is a very special day, uh, an important day, and I'm going to try to bottle my, contain my excitement. <laughs> okay. Um, pumpkin spice lattes available. Sorry about that. But we are in the last week in our series, uh, Nehemiah, uh, Rise and Build, and we've been in this series for a while. And, um, you know, we're, we're looking back at these Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and they're part of a bigger picture. We'll, we'll talk about that today. But these are historical books, uh, real, real uh, things that took place in human history, uh, recorded, written down. And so we, we look back upon those, and these historical books record the rebuilding of God's kingdom, the actual rebuilding of Jerusalem, of the temple, of the wall around Jerusalem. And look, you can go over there today and sort of see evidence of that, right? Um, the, the bigger picture in this, I guess my, my desire, my heart for all of us, is that while we are looking at this great story about rebuilding, I hope that through this, somehow God is rebuilding you. That's really the goal, and that's really what God wants to do, is to repair people. You know, I'm sure he could make he could have made the temple in a word, right? Could have been rebuilt. Could have made a completely new one. I mean, his, his heart is with, with you and me and with people, and he wants to rebuild out of, out of rubble. So you're never too far gone for God, right? You're never completely destroyed or, or you know, you you are not beyond what God can do for your life. His goal is to rebuild you, to repair you. Last week we talked about obstacles and uh, how those can affect the building process. And uh, obstacles are really opportunities for us to overcome. And I know last week might have been challenging for some of you. I hope it was encouraging. Because you can't overcome those. God wants you to. And he will reward you if you do. If you missed last week, please go back and, and listen to that. The sermon's available online or on our website or on our app. I want to circle back around today. Uh, I want to close us off with what we began with in week one. And it's this. We talked about how God has a plan. And we look out at our world and sometimes... A lot of times it can be frustrating and concerning and looks like things spinning out of control and unraveling and we start talking with our friends and coworkers and neighbors and before you know it, we're all in this chaotic sort of conversation and we're worried like, what's happening to our world today? I got to tell you, God's in control of our world. 
God is sovereign. God is on his throne. There's not a moment, not a second, not a millisecond, a nano, however small you can break time down into. There's not a, a moment of time when God is not seated upon his throne. And he has a plan. I want to build on that truth today, and I want to finish with where we began. What is, when I think of a plan, I think of a blueprint. Okay, and a blueprint is a, is a document, it's a, it's a sketch, it's a rendering or a drawing of a design, right? Um, those of you that are builders or maybe you built a home and, you know, you, you looked at a blueprint and you went by a blueprint. When I think of God's plan, I think of a, a blueprint, a design that has exact specifications, that has all the details in it that you will ever need, the exact measurements, the materials that are used, right? A 3D rendering, a drawing of what it's supposed to look like. And look, the goal is to build according to the blueprint, right? I mean, if you have this designer or an architect and they do this big work for you and and you look at it and say, well, that's great, but then you go and do your own thing, hey, I mean, what good is that? Chances are you might mess something up, right? We don't do that, do we? We follow directions all the time. <laughs> Are you that type of person? Do you, uh, do you follow the instruction manual? Be honest, guys. <clears throat> like, are you the type of person, all right, you buy your kid or your grandkids something, right? Either for a birthday or Christmas, it's something, you know, rather expensive, and, it, you know, you got to put it together. It says some assembly required, but really all assembly is required on it, right? And then you, you start to feel like Tim the Tool Man Taylor. You're like, I got this. I don't, I don't need directions, right? That's, that's for juveniles. And then you start to try to figure it out and piece it together, and then halfway through it, you're like, oh, <laughs> should have read the instructions. Right? Or then if there's a problem, like you write, like something's missing, what do you look back on? Right? I mean, don't you think you should have done that in the beginning? Right? Um, God has a plan. God has a blueprint. He has a blueprint to build his kingdom. I want to share, I'm going to go through this message today very fast because it's very practical. And, uh, and I want to go somewhere important with it today. The Bible is God's blueprint for building. You want to know what the blueprint for building the kingdom of God is? What you refer back to, what you look to, what you do not want to deviate from, where all the details, all the specifications are found? It's in the Bible. During Ezra and Nehemiah, in, in, if we step back into their time, the word of God was essential to the rebuild. Essential. Like, it could not be rebuilt without the word of God. It's so interesting. We'll talk about this in a moment. I'm trying to organize this the best I can. I'm so excited. This time period is surrounded by all the prophets. I don't know if you know much about the Bible or how it's collected or what like that, but you've got the first part of the book, 
that you know are, are is considered the law and then you have all these these historical books and then you've got prophets that sort of surround and, and bookend and enclose Ezra and Nehemiah the word of god was literally like in this in this moment part of the part of the rebuild and it it was so important to them Nehemiah 8:1 says this <clears throat> This is after they, they finished, okay, after they finished the wall. All the people came together as one. Man, wouldn't that be great if we could do that today? Hey, let's, I don't care what your favorite TV show is or who your favorite football team is or whether you wear a mask or you don't, right? Let's come together as, as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So <clears throat> this was their Bible. The book of the law of Moses, that was all that they had at that time. The rest is being written as they go along, and it will come after them. But they had what's called the Torah, which is the first five books of, the, of our Bibles. And this is what they had. This is what they carried with them. This is what Ezra would have would have known and would have taught and would have been very familiar with. And they said, bring it out. Bring it out. Let's, let's read it together. Nehemiah 8.2. So on the first day of the seventh month, pay attention to that phrase. Uh, I'm going to come back to it in just a second. First day of the seventh month. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. Now that word assembly is the same word as church. Church. You've got, you got Hebrew in the Old Testament, and you've got Greek in the, in the New Testament, and this is the same word, the people, the gathering, the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. Pay attention to that phrase, too. I'm going to talk about it in just a second. Verse 3, he, that is Ezra, read it aloud from daybreak to noon. Okay, you ready? That's what we're going to do today. I'm not joking. Yes, I am. <clears throat> he read it aloud from daybreak to noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. You see why I said pay attention to that phrase? Here it is again. And all of the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Are you picturing this? Are you feeling a little convicted here in this? So they're gathered here, and they're, they're passionate about who and what? Ezra? No. It's the Word of God. That's what they wanted. That's what they were focused on. I'm sure Ezra was a nice guy. I'm sure he was cool. He might have even been good-looking, right? A hip pastor, preacher, right? They were not there for him not what they wanted they wanted the word of god verse 8 they they read from the book of the law making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read you see there's that word again clear meaning understood man you know there's a place for scripture memorization there is. 
but understanding. Understanding is so much better. And I'm telling you, I would rather have my kids understand some of God's word. That's how important I feel it is. than to memorize and not understand 200 verses. Understanding. Meaning. That's what, that's what God wants. Do you understand what I'm saying? What God is, that, that is, that is what he wants of all of us. To know what it says, why? Why is it so important? You ever had instructions that you can't follow? These playground instructions out here, by the way, are terrible. The, 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 this is no lie. So the designer, the architect, the engineer is from Canada. All right, so it's kind of, it's a little, uh, you know, I can read it a little bit, but then there's this little, oh, man, what are they talking about here? It's not really clear. How important is it for instructions to be clear? Man, we got to know what it says so we can follow the blueprint. Verse 14. Notice what they did. They found written in the law. Oh, they just happened to find this here, okay? They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. You see why I told you to pay attention to that? In verse 2, the first day of the seventh month, guess what they just happened to find? This command that involved the seventh month. The exact time that they we're in, and, and the, the command said to for the people of God to build and live in tents. And if you look back in, in Exodus, this, this was the time of, of that period, the Exodus from Egypt and the Passover time and, and the wandering in the wilderness. And what they did was they would, they would build temporary shelters and tents, and it was really a time for them to honor God and to remember how he provided for them. He was their provider, Right? And the Lord commanded them to do that, to do that, to keep doing that. It became known as the Festival of Booths. Maybe you've heard of that. Uh, the Hebrew word is sakot. Not trying to impress you or anything like that. Um, but here's, here's what I didn't know until today is that Sakot begins tomorrow. That's wild. It begins tomorrow evening, right? The Jewish, Jewish days begin in the evening. It begins tomorrow evening. And so literally, like this week, people will be building tents. Jews will be building tents and celebrating the festival of, of, of booths. They're like, bring, bring us the word. Read it to us. We want the meaning. Here's this command that God has for you. This day, this time, oh, and why do we need to know the meaning? Why do we need to understand so that we can do it? So that we can do it. Verse 16. 
So the people went out and brought back branches. Can you imagine, like, in the middle? All right, so I'm preaching and stuff like that, and, and we read a command from God, and y'all just start getting up and going and doing it. Be kind of weird. That's what happened. Like, the Word of God just kind of, like, it just, it was prominent. It was authoritative. And they're like, we, we heard it. We understand it. This is what God says. And now we got to do it. We got to do it. They went out and they brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. All the people went out and started building these little temporary shelters, these tents, these booths, everywhere, everywhere you looked, everywhere you turned, there was these little tents popping up, Nehemiah eight seventeen, The whole company that had returned from exile bent temp- built temporary shelters and lived in them. <laughs> oh, man, that's, that's so amazing to me. They went out and did it, didn't just leave it in their yard, that looks good. Didn't just sort of halfway obey it. I mean, they, they're like, hey, we're, honey, I'm sorry. I know you don't like the wilderness, but we're staying in the tent for a while. <laughs> you know? They did it. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, by the way, if he was the son of Nun, who was his parents? Sorry about that. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Do you get that? Look, Christians, people of God, we're supposed to be people of God's word, and not in doom and gloom type of way. Not like, oh my goodness, i got to follow this, are you kidding me? Not frowning all the time, not being sad or mad or angry. When you hear and you understand and you apply the word of God to your life, it brings joy to your life. It brings peace to your life. Your life is where it needs to be when you are under the word of God. Celebration. God's word equals good life. God's word, good life. That's the blueprint for building. What are you building your life on? What are you building your life on? What sh- what shapes and influences your life? Things that happen around you? People that are around you? Country, uh, things that happen in our country, world events? What dictates how you think and feel, act and behave? What are you building your life by? You know, the Bible says, man shall not live on bread alone. Live, like that means daily. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word in this 
came from the mouth of God. We all ate this morning. Aaron saved me a biscuit back there. Thank you. I think biscuits are bread. We all ate. We need the word of God to live as well. The Bible says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You, you want to live. You want, you want to know what the blueprint of life is. It's the word of God. Look what Jesus said here, Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and, here's the caveat, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Man, you want, do you want your life to be as solid as it can be? Do you build your life according to the blueprint? In the word of God. And those rains and storms that will come, your life will be left standing. It will be solid. And just like the people of God in Ezra and Nehemiah, your joy will be great. That's what God wants. So if the Bible is God's blueprint, this is the blueprint, what's the building? Like, you see what I'm saying? If this is the blueprint, what is, what is the finished product? What are we building? What's the end result going to be? What does it look like? Like when it's all said and done, what's the purpose? Or what's, what's the goal? What, what does the blueprint tell us? What, what is life's purpose? What are we working towards? The building is this. It's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is, that is what we are working to achieve. That, that is what we are working on here. The end result, the goal the finished product is Jesus. Is Jesus. That is what all the work is about. And listen, that is who all the work is for. It's for him. It is for Jesus. He is what we build, and he is the reason that we build. He is why we build. He is why we work. This is where I uh, got super excited this week, and I hope that I can clearly explain it to you what does you know you might be new to, to the bible to faith to jesus to a relationship with him whatever and you might not be um, we are all learning we are all uh, growing but what does a story about building a kingdom a temple and a wall a long time ago right what does all that have to do with me today? You see, if you look at this sort of half-heartedly and not as the complete word of God, you can, you can easily separate your life from it. You can say, oh, that was, that's neat. That took place a long time ago, right? What a, a neat story. Don't really have much to do with my life today. You see, you can easily do that. This is more than just a story, an old story from an old book, right? Man, you know, uh, 
I've been able to teach the Word of God for a long time, and that's kind of how I started, really wasn't, and still not a very good speaker, but I always loved studying and reading, not, not just reading, but just connecting the Word of God and allowing it to sort of build my faith, and really I've tried to disprove this more than than anything, and time and time again, God has proven me me wrong, and he has proven himself right, right? I mean, you can't, when you go up against God's word and you try to, this, like it just, it beats you every time. Checkmate. And Nehemiah, they built the wall in 52 days, okay? Very, that's a practical sermon. That's a practical lesson for life. When you work together and you work for God, you can do things very quickly, do things effectively, do things good, right? Here's the thing. Maybe you've read Nehemiah. Maybe you haven't, but here's what happens in the end, okay? Nehemiah left. He went back to Persia. And it wasn't very long, and the people were engulfed in sin again. And if you know anything about history, you know that really, really soon, Greece would come in and take over everything. Alexander the Great, right, not Colin Farrell uh, guy, but the Alexander the Great would come in and completely take over this area. Not long after that, Rome would take over Greece. Rome would come in and completely take over this area. Not long after that, the city, the temple, the wall would completely be destroyed. You see how that's weird? And I'm thinking back to Nehemiah and Ezra, I'm like, man, what was the point? I mean, God's putting all this emphasis here, and we're, we're doing a whole series on it, and we're studying it and learning it, and like, it's amazing, but then when you realize what happened historically, like, was it all, what, what was the point? All that hard work? All that dedication? Was it worth it? Was it was it a waste? No. No, it wasn't. You see, they were building something great. They were building something for a great purpose. Nehemiah, even though it's not the last book in the Old Testament, it is the last historical book in the Old Testament. I told you, they're sandwiched between prophets. So as you look and as you see this temple and everything being built, it's like history is paused for a moment. And then who comes on the scene? Matthew. Jesus. And God begins to rewrite history and make history anew. And, and, and then you can step back and you can kind of see, whoa, God is great. God, ha God has this. He exists outside of time. And, and, and when you step back and you look 
try to look through his lens, you, you sort of see what, what he's doing here. God was, he paused history because he was about to make history. And I got to thinking, man, you know, it's kind of, it's weird that all these prophets are here at this time and, and no other time. was preparing the world for something great. Haggai is one of those prophets, okay? And Haggai, interestingly, was buddies with Nehemiah. So here you got Nehemiah working on the wall, like doing the construction part, right? Doing the heavy lifting and the, the leadership and the organization. And you got guys like Haggai walking around and just prophesying, right? He, he He's encouraging the people and trying to get them to to turn to God, and notice what Haggai two seven or two six says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth. Man, when Jesus was crucified, there was an earth shake. There was an earthquake, and the heavens were opened. The sea and the dry land, I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. So Haggai's walking around there building the temple on the wall. And Haggai's saying, look, this is what God told me. In a little while, this is going to happen. And this temple is going to be filled with God's glory. Verse 9, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Remember last week we talked about how some... Some of the older people like looked at the this temple and remembered the old one. They're like, "Ugh, this looks terrible compared to the old one." Here comes Haggai. He's like, "Hey, this one, the glory in this one right here, is going to far surpass the older one." And he wasn't talking about the blocks, the stone. He was talking about what would be in the temple very soon. Just a few hundred years later, a few hundred years later, Jesus would enter this temple. Okay? In the first words when Jesus, you know, started his ministry, Okay, repent. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus would enter this temple. Do you know he would teach in this temple? Do you know he would heal the sick in this in this temple? Did you know he would be arrested here? And beat, mocked, here. The very stone that Ezra and Nehemiah placed and built up would contain Jesus, would hold Jesus. During his final hours. 
he would be tried in this temple from from the temple treasury that that Ezra had set up and installed and from the religious leaders that Ezra Ezra okay so Ezra is a direct descendant from Aaron and he was the first high priest he he set up this system of the religious leaders that was practiced during Jesus time it came from him Man, without a temple, there would be no religious leaders. Without religious leaders, there would be no temple treasury. There would be no 30 pieces of silver. Without the religious leaders, there would be no trial. Without the religious leaders, there would be no arrest. Without the temple, there would be no reason for Pilate to even acknowledge a small group of people. So in other words, there would be no crucifixion of Jesus if it were not for the work of Ezra and Nehemiah. Do you see what what? they were doing all right so literally in the span of our of history the temple was rebuilt a couple hundred years later enter jesus the crucifixion the resurrection no lie 30 years after the resurrection of jesus the temple was leveled what was the whole purpose of the temple it was for jesus they were setting the stage for the return of Jesus. And that, that was their work. That was the build. You know, that's our job too. To set the stage for the return of Jesus. To prepare the way. To, to, to make... Make this place ready for him. To build for him. Right? I love what John 14, 2 says. So many people get this wrong. And I, I got it wrong for a while. But it says, my father's house has many mansions. Right? So get this. Jesus didn't leave. And he's like still up there working on mansions. Okay? Like it's taken him a long time to, these must, you know, no. They're there already. I mean, if, if God can build, can construct the universe in seven days, right? My father's house has many rooms or many mansions, your translation might say. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go... And prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Isn't that good? Hey, the prepared place happened at the cross. 
Jesus ascended into heaven. He says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And so our goal is, as people of God is to build his kingdom and welcome him back. Right? You see, unlike Ezra and Nehemiah, we know, we know how important our work is. We know what's going to take place. The king is returning. We are setting the stage for his return. That's why here at Community Heights, I really felt like this mission statement sort of solidified what we're doing, and it's this, building a community of Christ followers until the Lord returns. I mean, You know, that's what we're doing. We're building the kingdom of, of Jesus Christ. And I mean, we're, it, it's for him, and it's about him, and it's through him, and it's upon him, and it's by him. It's for him, and, and it's all got to be about him, and it's until he returns. We want to build Christ followers. We want people to hear about and see Jesus. We want people to know about Jesus. We want people to be like Jesus so we can share the love of Jesus. It's all about him. Man, all this stuff, I mean, that we're doing, it's, it's not about block or brick or wood or playground metal that's really heavy. Thanks, guys, by the way, for getting that up yesterday. It's about Jesus, and it's about allowing people and encouraging people and providing an atmosphere where people can encounter Jesus because it's all about him. Whose kingdom are you building? And so many people spend their whole lives building their own kingdom. And the big thing I see from Ezra and Nehemiah is these guys were sold out for building the kingdom of God. Even though they didn't really fully understand how big God's plan was, they were sold out for doing it. Are you? Are you? I want you to, I thought about this all week, and what was the goal for this sermon? I want you to picture Jesus this morning. And that's all I want you to see. If you have to close your eyes, so be it. But that's what I see when I think of God's word, beginning to end. Showing, showing us something. The, blue, the blueprint, right? Just like a blueprint that you're laying out if you're building a house, the longer you stare at it, you can, uh, you can start to visualize it. picture Jesus, not what you're worried about, not what you're afraid of, not anything else. I want his image to become more clear to you this morning. And understand this, that is what you are to build. your life for him 
this world for him. You see, in the end, there's only going to be one kingdom left standing. It's the kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom that has given us everything that we need to go by. The king has given us all the power through his spirit that we need to go by. You and I, we just need to do it. Need to do it. We're going to be doing communion. I'm going to ask Bob to come up. Communion is where we really adjust and focus upon Jesus. And when I read that he went to prepare a place, what he did was he died on the cross for you and me. And through that, through that, prepared a place for you and I and all people in the world who would believe in him, prepared a place with God the Father. So communion is for believers who have placed their faith in Jesus. And if you haven't done that, will you do that today? Before we take communion, Bob's going to play in just a minute. I told you I wanted you to see Jesus this morning, picture Jesus. Do that as I read from this scripture in Colossians. Because just like Ezra was reading the Bible and the people needed meaning and understanding, I feel like today we need clarity, we need meaning, we need understanding for what our purpose is, for what we're doing. Why are you here? What is our church doing? What's the point of your life? Colossians 1.15 says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or kingdoms. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's Jesus. The one with all authority, who deserves all glory, made peace for you. And me.
by shedding his blood on the cross. As Bob plays, just spend some time reflecting, picturing Jesus, speaking to God this morning, then we'll come back together and take communion. These things come with instructions. All right. Oh, we also have gluten-free if you need that. we got crackers out at the counter. Um, sorry, I forgot to mention that. But I want to read from you Luke, and then we'll do this together. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper... He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then um, I just noticed this verse this morning that never gets read. But it's verse 29, just right, right after Jesus does this. He says, and I, I, this is my prayer for you as we leave, okay? I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Isn't that good? What blessings we have from God. Gracious, merciful, loving. It's all because of Jesus.